Michigan enters December of 1997 at 11-0 in a date with Destiny in Pasadena, California on January 1st, 1998. Before that, a Heisman Trophy and the final national title conflict to close out a historic era takes shape. Welcome to episode 13 of Road to the Victors, the story of the 1997 Michigan Wolverines. I am your host, Andrew Hammond, assistant sports editor at the Detroit Free Press. On this journey, we are taking you game by game, week by week, to give you the inside look at how the 1997 Michigan Wolverines captured their share of a national title. Following Florida State's loss to Florida on November 22nd, the Michigan Wolverines were ranked number one in both the AP and coaches' polls, followed by Nebraska at number two. But Nebraska and Michigan can't meet in a national title game. Ladies and gentlemen, may I introduce you to the Bowl Coalition and the Bowl Alliance. Starting in 1992, College football created the Bowl Coalition, a group consisting of five conferences and seven bowl games. The goal was to guarantee a national champion. Just one, okay, three big problems there. The Big Ten, the Pac-10, and the Rose Bowl were not a part of the Bowl Coalition due to the Big Ten and Pac-10's longstanding relationship with the Rose Bowl. The flaws of the Bowl Coalition were revealed in 1994 when both Penn State and Nebraska finished the regular season undefeated. But tradition stood in the way of achieving the ultimate matchup in either the Orange Bowl or the Rose Bowl. In 1995, the Bowl Coalition became the Bowl Alliance. New name, same problems. This was quickly realized in 1997 once Nebraska beat Texas A&M in the Big 12 championship game. Number one Michigan would face number eight Washington State in the Rose Bowl, and the Bowl Alliance version of the national title game would pit number two Nebraska versus number three Tennessee in the Orange Bowl. Meaning, if both Michigan and Nebraska won their bowl games, there would almost certainly be a split national championship. If you want the complete story of the 1997 Michigan Wolverines, the Free Press is publishing a commemorative book. Hail Yes! The Story of the 1997 Michigan Wolverines can be purchased at um.pictorialbook.com. Before the national championship could be decided, some hardware needed to be handed out. 11 Wolverines were named to the Big Ten All-Conference first and second team rosters, including Brian Greasy, Jeff Backus, and Glenn Steele. Lloyd Carr received several National Coach of the Year honors. Charles Woodson, Glenn Steele, and Jeremy Tooman were named All-Americans. Now, we go to the Heisman vote. Four players were invited to the Heisman Trophy Ceremony at the Downtown Athletic Club in New York City. Michigan's Charles Woodson, Peyton Manning from Tennessee, Ryan Leaf of Washington State, and Randy Moss from Marshall. The words came from the mouth of Peter Young, 
the president of the Downtown Athletic Club. And the winner, from Michigan, Charles Woodson. For the first time in the 63-year history of the award, a defensive player had won the most prestigious trophy in all of college football. Charles Woodson capped off a magical regular season with a stunning Heisman victory on the surface. However, when you look at the votes, Woodson's 433 first-place votes were more than enough to beat out second-place Peyton Manning. The 1997 Heisman Trophy remains a sore subject to Tennessee fans this very day. When we come back after the break, Keith Gave, a former writer at the Free Press, joins the show to talk about the 1998 Rose Bowl between Michigan and Washington State when Road to the Victors returns. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. New Year's Day, Pasadena, California. For decades, it has brought the world two things, a parade and a football game. Joining me to talk about the football game and maybe his parade memories is Keith Gave, former writer at the Free Press. Before we talk about the game, uh, just wanted to get a few quick thoughts from you on our last segment. We were talking about the Heisman Trophy. I believe you were there that night. What do you remember about the announcement that Charles Woodson won the Heisman Trophy? Yeah, I, I remember four uh, young, good-looking guys sitting in the front row there, and Charles was one of them, of course, with uh, with uh, uh, Ryan Leaf and uh, Peyton Manning and uh, Randy Galloway, right? Uh, and, Randy uh, Moss. All of, Randy, excuse me, Randy Moss. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, just any one of them were worthy Heisman Trophy winners. I just I felt like they called the right name. Charles Woodson is the Heisman Trophy winner, and and I just remember bowing his head uh, and uh, trying to contain his emotion. And then he walked up to the podium uh, to uh, accept it, and he dropped to a knee, you know, and put his head down. It was highly emotional, um, you know. It, and we, we were witnessing history: the first defense, primarily defensive player to win the Heisman Trophy. Um, he was the guy I voted for. I had a Heisman vote that year. I voted for him. And um, uh, it was just, uh, it was emotional for everybody. It, it just, that's what I, I remember most. Just the, the, uh, uh, the, the, the just this sense of uh, history and, uh, uh, and just deep emotion. Everybody in the, everybody in the room. For sure. For sure. Because it, on, on one side, there's the emotion of, a surprise, Charles Woodson, winning the Heisman Trophy. But then, and I remember watching this as a kid, you're watching it on ESPN, and mm-hmm. you're thinking to yourself, yeah, Charles Woodson deserves the Heisman Trophy, but is he really going to win it? Because Peyton Manning had all the hype, all the buzz. But then you have the shock and the, oh, my God, Peyton Manning didn't win the Heisman. Uh, so I can definitely understand why it was an emotional room. Uh, so the million-dollar question to me 
at least when it comes to the 1997 Heisman, do you think Peyton Manning, if he had beat Florida, does he win the Heisman? Or do you think Woodson's season was so special, it was that special of a year, that you had no other choice but to give it to him? I know you had yeah. your vote, but yeah. what do you think – do you think that, other a- voters – would have swayed one way or the other. Yeah, that's a real uh, uh, that's a really good point, and uh, and and I I don't know for sure. I know that was the, always the tag uh, uh, at the time on on Peyton Manning is that he couldn't beat Florida. All you know, four years couldn't beat Florida. Uh, maybe if he had, he would have swayed some votes and won the thing. Maybe I do feel, however, that there was a um, a strong feeling among you know college football writers, media around the country that when they watched number two for Michigan play special teams, defense, offense, catching passes, throwing passes. I mean, he, he did something that we've rarely seen in modern day football. One guy doing all those things. He, he didn't kick any field goals that I recall. (laughs) He did everything else. I think people thought of Charles Woodson as the best all around college football player in the land. But I I, I don't know. I I still think he would have won. It might have been closer. Uh, But, again, Peyton Manning beats Florida, and it's a whole different ballgame. For sure. And, you know, it's funny. If Peyton Manning does beat Florida, and we'll talk about this a little later, you have three teams that are undefeated competing for a national championship. Right. My God. Uh, We – we should have probably had a playoff then. Um, but on to the game. Uh, the yeah. Rose Bowl in Michigan is like peanut butter and jelly. It just sounds right. And and it's so appealing to the eyes. The Wolverines had been to the granddaddy of the mall 16 times. You couldn't say the same thing about Washington State in the Rose Bowl because the Cougars hadn't been there in 67 years. Keith, the Pac-10 season was pretty wild. UCLA was ranked in the top five at this point on New Year's Day. They're in the Cotton Bowl against Texas A&M, but they didn't win the league because Washington State had the tiebreaker over the Bruins. What do you remember about the buzz surrounding this Cougars team? Because they're coming out of Pullman, which is really in the middle of nowhere in eastern Washington. Now, all of a sudden, they're the darlings of college football playing in the Rose Bowl for the first time in 67 years. Yeah, I, I remember people conf- being confused uh, getting Washington, which was a pretty good football program at the time, and Washington State mixed up a little bit. All the buzz about Washington, Washington State at that time, as I recall, was simply about their quarterback. They had a future NFL star quarterback in Ryan Leaf. This guy was a was a magician, had an arm uh, that people thought was a better NFL arm than Peyton Manning's, by the way. You know, the people thought that Ryan Leaf would be a better NFL quarterback than Peyton Manning at the time. Didn't turn out that way, obviously. <laughs> but that was the buzz about Washington. No, we knew, we, you know, being here in the Midwest, knew very little about Washington State other than this uh, Heisman Trophy candidate quarterback, Ryan Leaf. And uh, uh, he lived up to the billing in that game, I'll tell you that. It's Washington State who opens up the scoring. It's Ryan Leaf connecting with Kevin McKenzie to give the Cougars a 7-0 lead in the first quarter. It looks like Michigan is about to go down 14-0, but Charles Woodson comes up with an amazing interception in the end zone to turn the Cougars away. Keith, this is the type of play I feel like 
you know, we go back to the Heisman Trophy ceremony. Mm-hmm. There's people in there. There's you know, there's fans. There's media. You know, Olivia and Archie Manning are probably like Peyton should have won. But then right. Charles Woodson comes up with this awesome interception, and I was watching the film back on this game. I mean, Ryan Leaf, it's not like he lollipopped the ball into the end zone. He fired that thing in there, and he and Charles Woodson catches it. And just you have the amazing photo of Woodson catching the ball in the end zone that everybody knows. What do you remember about that play, and do you think that that was a Heisman-validating moment for him, absolutely no question about it. That's one of the first things I thought of when he intercepted that pass. You're right; they were about to go up fourteen nothing, and here comes Charles Woodson again making the play. It wasn't a long pass; uh, it was within the twenty twenty some yards, maybe right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he was he was he was covering his receiver really tight, and he he just read the play perfectly as the best player in college football was doing all season long and stepped up and made the interception. I'm thinking, yeah, this is why he won the Heisman trophy. <laughs> this, this made me feel it vindicated my vote. I'll tell you that. <laughs> uh, uh, and, and uh, he just did what he did all season long. And uh, I think even uh, Archie Manning and his wife probably looked at and said, yeah, this kid's probably, he's, he's a pretty good football player, you know? Michigan would tie the ball game in the second quarter as Brian Greasy connects on a 53-yard strike to tie streets at 7-7 in the second quarter. This game feels like the final presentation of Brian Greasy's career. Everything he's gone through all culminates in this game. Did you get that feeling of watching him in action? You know, he goes through the season, he has the ups and downs. But then all of a sudden, this game, he puts it all together. Yes. Uh, not Maybe not exactly right then, but as the game evolved, uh, it certainly hit me like a ton of bricks that it, it, we are witnessing a pretty special moment in sports where a player and, and his moment come together in, in, in almost a – in a perfect way. I mean, he could do no wrong in that game, not just – three touchdown passes. We'll get to those in a minute, but some other plays that he made in that game, um, uh, he, for a, especially for a, you were talking about a former walk-on quarterback, right? Right. He was a walk-on at Michigan, and he almost didn't come back for his senior year. And he comes back, and he, they're 11-0 coming into the Rose Bowl, the greatest of all football environments, football settings. I remember Lloyd Carr. I, I, I'm deviating here, but I, I want to make a point. Well, you know, when the when Michigan beat Ohio State and qualified to go to the Rose Bowl, you know, Lloyd asked me if the game. He said, "Keith, have you ever been, ever been to the Rose Bowl?" And I said, "No, I'm really looking forward." He said, "Oh man," he said, "You are in for a treat." He said, "There's no better setting in college football in the world." Then the you know Pasadena, the Rose Bowl. You you know you look out over the uh, over the stadium, the San Gabriel Mountains. There, the you know the sun is setting. It is just an unbelievable scene, and he was right. Uh, what what the best setting for any sporting event I've ever been around? It was unbelievable. And then now here comes Brian Greasy. They're eleven and zero, and he makes every single play he needed to make to help his team win that game, to lead his team to to win. I, uh, he did everything right that game. It was it was a special to watch for me. It is a 7-7 ball game at halftime. When we come back to Road to the Victors, the Michigan Wolverines look to cap off a dream season 
and win the national title for at least 24 hours. We'll be back after the break. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Road to the Victors. It's 7-7 coming out of halftime between the Wolverines and the Cougars. At stake for Michigan, a win, and they can make their claim for a national championship. The Wolverines once again have to answer the bell following a Washington State touchdown that makes the score 13-7. I know we talked about Brian Greasy and the culmination of his career, but this game almost feels like a culmination of Michigan's season. Having to face a small sample of everything that they've been through It's, you know, being down. It's battling adversity. Uh, They didn't really necessarily have that massive struggle like they did against Iowa. But at the same time, you're still having to battle the fact that, okay, you're going to – you've taken every team's best shot from Notre Dame to Iowa to Michigan State to Ohio State. And now you've got to do it all over again one more time. Did you get that sense – watching this game yeah it, it felt it felt like the uh, their the entire season wrapped up in, into one and there were many moments of adversity in this game and Michigan found a way to overcome those moments meet those moments and um, uh, do what they do what they needed to do to make a play and continue a drive whatever and score a touchdown uh, they they lived up to the moment at every turn uh, necessary. It was it was um, it was kind kind of special to watch. Really, I mean, even though you could feel those moments of, of adversity in the press box, I mean, it was really tense. <laughs> but I I never felt like they were going to to crumble or fail. Like, well, this, this is Michigan after all. We've seen this time and time and time again. Here it is. Let's see what they can do. And they did what they needed to do every single time. It was it was amazing to watch. And, and you know, we talked about Brian Greasy a little bit. And, and speaking of him, late in the third quarter, he connects with Ty Streets on a 58-yard touchdown bomb. Michigan takes the lead for good following the extra point. And we talked about it a little bit earlier with Ryan Leaf and how he was zipping passes in there. This isn't a dink-and-dunk passer that was struggling against Iowa in October. I mean, you talk about the 53-yard touchdown pass Brian Greasy throws to Ty Streets. Uh, Now you have the 58-yard touchdown pass. I mean, he just cranked that sucker. Uh, When a guy is in the zone like that, when he normally isn't, you know, quote-unquote, in the zone, do you just kind of marvel and like, okay, let's see what you can do next here, kid? Well, you couldn't help but marvel because you, you you saw what Washington State was able to do. They took away Michigan's run game. In the first half, they had 21 yards rushing in the first half. They basically said, if we're going to get beat, uh, uh, Brian Greasy is going to have to beat us with his arm. And he did. 
And he did, period. He he made those plays when he had to make them. I mean, the, 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 they weren't dink and duck. Those were those were the kind of passes fans pay to see. You know, when they <laughs> when they spend all that money for a seat at the Rose Bowl, the Super Bowl, whatever. I mean, it was it, again Brian Greasy doing everything he needed to do. He met his moment and uh, and led his team the way a uh, a great quarterback should. And Brian Greasy would once again connect with Jeremy Tooman. Uh, to me, it's one of the more acrobatic passes and catches uh, th- that I've seen a tight end make. I mean, Jeremy Tooman. If you if fans, if you go if you, if you go back to watch the play, Brian Greasy kind of throws it off balance. Jeremy Tooman has to angle at a certain way that most tight ends don't know how to do. And then he just jets straight to the end zone. Uh, that would be Greasy's third touchdown pass of the day, making the score 21 13. Uh, the Cougars get a field goal midway through the fourth quarter. So the score is now 21 16. With about 39 seconds left, it appears that Michigan will kick a field goal. They make it a seven point game, but they don't. Watching watching that game back, watching it then and now, I've always kind of marveled at this play. Uh, Jay, kicker Jay Feely punts the ball on a bit of a pooch punt mm-hmm. uh, down to the seven-yard line. And, and, Keith, just take me back to what you were thinking in the press box in that moment, if you remember, because or if you were on the field, because all of a sudden you're thinking, okay, Michigan kicks a field goal here, seven-point ball game. Washington State literally has to go down and score a touchdown to tie the game or right. if they want to do a uh, you know two-point conversion to win the game. But now all of a sudden, you know, Feely punts the ball down to the seven-yard line. Washington State has 93 yards to go, 29 seconds, and no timeouts. <laughs> yeah, and it was still pretty scary. <laughs> uh, I want to back up just a second, though, to yeah. Michigan's last possession. Uh, sure. Michigan didn't – they really didn't want to give give the ball back to Washington State because they know right. what that quarterback was capable of doing in that team. And uh, there was a – talk about Greasy doing what he needed to do to, 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 to uh, win the game. Yeah. Uh, there was – at one point, there was a third and eleven. And he dropped back to pass. There was nothing going on. Uh, he couldn't, you know, and he just, he took off running. And everybody goes, oh, my God, here we go, you know. And and what did Brian Greasy do? He ran for 11 yards to get the first <laughs> down and keep the drive going. Talk about those touchdown passes and so on. But he made a play with his legs when they needed one in the worst way, right? They continued the drive. They get all the way down, uh, you know, the, it, now they're, you know, fourth down, and they, it looks like they're going to punt. And uh, I was down on the field uh, by then, but so I had a close-up view, and we see Jay Feely fake the uh, or f- fake a kick, the, a kick, yeah. and uh, and pooch punt the thing down to uh, you know the seven-yard line, and you look up the clock, wondering uh, uh, you know just how much time they had left. Right? There was how many seconds left? Twenty-six seconds left. Yeah, uh, twenty-nine seconds left 29 seconds. Uh, on their yeah. own seven-yard line. It's like this is still, you know what? This this game ain't over. And what does Ryan, what is what does Ryan Leaf do? Uh, first of all, I want just back to that play. A yeah. beautifully called coaching play. Give Lloyd Carr credit for, for sure. calling that fake field goal and 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 pinning Washington State back as far as they could. And give it give Jay Feely credit for get pinning them back inside the ten yard line to the seven yard line. Right. So they got ninety three yards to go. It seems impossible, 
But again, uh, there was still a lot of uh, anxiety on the Michigan sideline because of that quarterback, Ryan Leaf. And uh, what does he do the first play? 46-yard uh, uh, pass play, right? All yeah. of a sudden, all of a sudden, you're thinking, holy smokes, here we go. And uh, just set up a wild last few seconds of the game. For sure. And, and real quick before we, we talk about that, I, I look at when Jay Feely punts that ball. And, and folks, when you watch that game back, the way punters and the way that play is designed to go, that could have easily gone off his foot wrong. That could have easily gone yep. into the end zone. And so yep. all of a sudden, you weren't at the you know seven-yard line. You're at the 20-yard line. Correct. So just when they talk about a game of inches and just the way things are done and special teams carrying the day, that play to me is one of the big ones. But, yeah, <laughs> nine seconds left to go. Washington State has the ball at the Michigan 26-yard line. And remember, folks, in college, the clock stops when a team gets a first down in the final minute of a game. The clock does stop for the Cougars, but as Ryan Leaf spikes the ball, the clock goes down to zero. Ball game. As Washington State disputes the final play of the game, a confused Lloyd Carr seeks out an even more confused head coach, a Cougars head coach, Mike Price. The referees had left the field. The ball game was over. Michigan beats Washington State 21-16. For the first time, the Wolverines had a claim to their national title since 1948. Keith, take me back to that final chaotic drive because you're on the field. You aren't in the press box. You're watching this right, right front and center. Yeah, I was down. It was down kind of close to the the end zone, but uh, kind of uh, you're waiting for one more play, right? He, 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 the, the referee, right. the guy in the white hat, you know, he spots the ball, gets out of the way. Ryan Leaf takes a snap, throws it down. He had, a, he had two seconds left to make two that play, left, stop yeah. the clock, and have one more shot at covering that 26 yards for what would have been a winning touchdown, right? Mm -hmm. That's why that's why everybody in the building on the Michigan side was was nervous. And uh and, and uh, apparently the you know the the uh, the the clock keeper, the uh, umpire of the game decided that he he took too much time to spike the ball, call the game over. And uh, I, I, I think it, it's worth going back and finding a YouTube uh, uh, video of the final seconds of the game, listening to my favorite announcer of all time, Keith Jackson, yes. you know, call this game saying, uh, you know, cause he's trying to sort out the confusion. Everybody was right. Yeah. And he said, well, he said there, the guy in the white hat says that's it. And he's, he's headed toward the tunnel. This game is over. <laughs> That's that's kind of when you knew the game was over when the umpire, the referees leave the field, right? And uh, you're right, Lloyd Carr was was looking for Mike Price, who was less inclined to shake Lloyd Carr's hand, and he did obviously, but yeah. uh, he was still arguing, trying to get you know put put another second on the clock for sure, so they could play one more play. And Ryan Leaf was doing the same thing. Uh, it was just extreme chaos. Uh, got it sorted out rather quickly, and all, sudden suddenly all hell broke loose on the Michigan side, and in the you know. All those thousands of fans, of uh, Michigan fans, who uh, uh, who came to the game, and uh, you know, we had a national champion, or what we thought we had. In it. We were pretty sure we had a national champion to uh, to write about in the free press the next day. 
For sure. And, and, and kind of going back on that last drive, that last play, you know, there's two seconds left, and, and Ryan Leaf, looking back at it, you know, when I was watching the film back, he it's like he takes an extra step. Yep. And I think the extra step cost him yep. that second because, exactly. you know, and for, for folks who don't know, when the ref signals the ball to play, he'll give a signal – and mm-hmm. at, at that point, the clock is going, so you have to move. And yep. so I think – do I think Washington State might have been dealt a raw hand? If, if there was replay, I think they might have had another shot. But I, I still think just looking at it visually, Ryan Leaf takes that extra step back and then throws the ball down. Yes. It costs him a second and – Michigan wins 21-16. Michigan makes their claim for a national championship, but they'll have to wait 24 hours because the following night, number two, Nebraska, beats number three, Tennessee, 42-17 in the Orange Bowl. After the game, with the final vote in the 1997 college football season just hours away from being cast, Nebraska quarterback Scott Frost puts together a stump speech essentially on the podium why Nebraska, ranked number two in both polls entering that game, deserves a shot at a national championship. Three times in the 1997 season, the number one team won and then fell in the polls the following week. Would the AP or coaches drop Michigan from the number one spot less than 48 hours after their closing argument in the Rose Bowl. When college football fans woke up on Saturday, January 3rd, Michigan was number one in the AP poll, but number two in the coaches poll, giving Nebraska their share of the national title in the coaches poll. The coaches voted 32-30 over Nebraska, and some could say that it was Tom Osborne's retirement gift. Some could say that it was Scott Frost's stump speech on the podium in South Beach. Or was it Michigan's close win in the Rose Bowl that may have turned some coaches away? Keith, what do you think was the deciding factor for the coaches to all of a sudden just go, you know what? I think Nebraska is actually better than Michigan, even though I voted Michigan number one the last two or three weeks. Yeah, I, I think, uh, honestly, all the speculation at the time was it was a nice, uh, the, the coaches uh, presented the uh, Tom Osborne, the legendary uh, uh, Nebraska coach, uh, with a nice little parting gift on his retirement. Uh, but I think it, w- it goes beyond that. You remember there was a lot of, there was a lot of effort in those years to create a, um, a national championship game within the College Football Alliance, yeah. right? And 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 the the Big Ten, the Pac Ten, and the Rose Bowl were not part of that alliance. They had another mm. deal, right? And I think this was all those other coaches, the the, the coaching fraternities way, uh, the the cabal, let's put it, of of, <laughs> of uh, Basically, penalizing uh, the really? Big Ten, the Pac-10, and the uh, and the Rose Bowl for not being part of their plan to try and create a national championship game. See, the best I haven't thing heard that thought yet. I like this three. idea. 
I, I, I truly believe that that's what was going on. Uh, and uh, of course, a few years later, we finally did have a national championship game, and it was the Michigan-Nebraska split national championship, which is bull as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Michigan was clearly the best team that year, and they proved it every single game. Every time they faced it, a challenge, they met it, they won, they moved on, 12-0. Nebraska was 12-0 as well. They played in a pretty good league at the time and so on, but I think Michigan, Michigan's credentials for, you know, for national championship credentials are better than Nebraska's. Keith, as we wrap up the series, you've kind of answered the question already. I'm going to give it to you again. Yep. Neutral field, 1997 Michigan or 1997 Nebraska, final score included. Oh, final score. Jeez. Um, <laughs> uh, and now you're, now you're uh, putting the pressure on. Honestly, I, I – Michigan amazed me that that entire year and no at no time more than when they went to Penn State a very 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 good Penn State team Every, and everybody thought that would be kind of Michigan's Waterloo a, a little bit you know they played well up to that point and then all of a sudden you're looking at 31 to nothing and they win you know a, a very lopsided game against uh, Joe Paterno and his uh, his Penn State team I I I think I put Penn State right up with Nebraska and Tennessee and, and other powerhouse teams that year. I would love to have seen Michigan play Nebraska in a national championship game. I think Michigan would have won. I think it would have been closer. It would have been something like 23-20. would have been a hell of a game. But in, in, the, in the two guys we talked about, Brian Greasy and, uh, and Charles Woodson, would have made the plays that they needed to, pl- to make to win that game. I, I truly believe that. Before we go... Our guest has been Keith Gave. Anjanette Delgado and Kirkland Crawford are the executive producers of this podcast. Robin Chan and Carrie Jr. II provide technical support. Peter Batia is the editor of the Detroit Free Press. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe to Road to the Victors on Apple, Spotify, or your preferred streaming app of choice. And find us at freep.com slash podcasts. Please subscribe, leave a rating, and tell your friends about us. It really does help. For more information on the 1997 Michigan team, pre-order the book, Hail Yes! The Story of the 1997 Michigan Wolverines at Freep.com. I'm Andrew Hammond, and it has been my pleasure to be your host for Road to the Victors, The Story of the 1997 Michigan Wolverines. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.